0: listening to chug a talk with ryan murphy a podcast by pull made simple hello friends this episode is brought to you by Saucy Farm. Located in Wiggins, Mississippi, they're the premier Australian stock horse stud in North America. Proudly standing are Ballandown Zorro, Hayden Satellite, and Stonebrook Finno. Ballandown Zorro has fresh, cooled semen with a live, full guarantee. Hayden Satellite and Stonebrook Finno have a limited supply of frozen semen.
1: Special then that once in a lifetime boards that people only dream of having is
0: athleticism, heart, and love for the game of second to none. We've been so fortunate to have him as our own, and a major part of our development as players, as well as horsemen, has most certainly
2: been because of him. He has definitely raised the bar in terms of expectations and standards that we have of our own horses, and how we go about bringing them into the game. me picked up on full across so quickly and has been my main playing horse since 2013 carrying me from local and national tournaments to international tours and exchanges. Her athleticism and power, despite her petite stature, blow me away each time I'm able to meet a once turning the
0: 30 or avoid pressure in the midfield.
2: There is no question about the success of these incredible studs for producing machines on the field, and I look forward to seeing the development of these lines in the future. I'm so happy that the Saucys are continuing the work of Marilyn Murphy in promoting the Australian Stock Horse, which is truly the breed for every need. Hi, this is Dana Deemer,
1: I and my family own Keystone Silhouette. She's a 15-year-old black Australian stock horse first cross by Down Zorro. I would say the thing that she brings to the table is her incredible athleticism. She has the best footwork coming up to a jump of any horse that I've seen in a long time. She's bold cross
0: country, she's bold in stadium. Saucy Farm and Australian Stock Horses, a breed for every need. You can find them on Facebook or call 228-263-0930. Are you a polo-cross related business? a Talk has a truly global audience. To learn more about advertising here, email me at ryan at polo simplecom Space is limited. Personal fitness is so important in a sport of polo-cross. Although we can't all look like Stephan Harris, we could all be working towards our own fitness goals. I've learned through personal experience that having a community of friends that share their fitness and nutrition ideas and activities truly can motivate others to follow suit. A rising tide raises all the ships in the harbor. Please join the American Polo Cross Association's fitness community today on Facebook, groups. It's called American Polo Cross Fitness Group. It's hosted by the APA's player development program and open to members worldwide. If you see Steph Harris, please encourage him to join for abs motivation. Again, it's a Facebook group called American Polo Cross Fitness Group. Get pumped. On this episode of Chucka Talk, you'll meet Bruce McLarty, along with Simon Shearing as co-host, We are honored to gain the perspective of a two-time World Cup champion coach. We discuss the metamorphosis of South African polo cross over the past 20 years. We discuss what it takes to become a champion with glimpses into some of the biggest games he has ever coached and the greatest players as well. Don't miss a second of this episode. Here on Chugga Talk, the goal is to shrink the polo cross world by connecting people together and most importantly to provide education by interviewing players from all over the world. So listen closely and enjoy.
2: Hey, Simon. How you doing, mate? all right. I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, not hey. too bad. Simon's in Spain. How's the beach, Simon? Oh, it's not too bad. I haven't spent too much time there. I've just been uh, sitting by the pool. I only got here yesterday, so today's the first day.
1: Are they going to let you
2: back into the UK? Yeah, I'm sure we'll be all right getting back in there. Lucky we left when we did it. We probably wouldn't got out.
1: <laughs>
2: I see they're closing flights to other countries. So Yeah, yeah. yeah don't want us anywhere.
0: You must have gotten a good deal, though, traveling right now.
2: Yeah, fantastic deal. Really good deal. If you want to take the risk, but uh, at least take the risk.
0: <laughs> yeah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on, Bruce. Good to be here. Yeah, this is a very important one to me. I, I'm a coach. Simon's done a lot of coaching. You just have so much credibility in that regard. You have two World Cup championships under your belt. You were the assistant coach before 2011. Is that correct?
1: My journey was a funny one because I started as a horse coordinator in 2003, and I went along uh, with the coach Tony Higgs to Australia and everybody knows how that ended but what I did start to do there was work with the ladies and then I went back in 07 in a sort of combined role of horse coordinator assistant coach and then I got the senior job in 08 when Tony stood down. That's where my journey with the senior coaching sort of started. So it was a few years ago, we had a plan, or I had a plan, it it took a while to get going. I didn't expect to do as well as we did in 11. It sort of all fell into place quite nicely.
2: Was your plan always to become the coach? Or did it just sort of, you just wanted to be involved in some way and then it adapted No, I I,
1: I had no aspirations prior to 03 to be a senior coach. Enjoyed coaching the juniors, and I enjoyed working, you know, with the up-and-coming players, and that's still where my first love is. As I brought juniors on, I realized that when they got into the senior ranks, they were maybe not being as well looked after as, as they possibly could, given the opportunities that they should have to develop into senior players. I suppose I thought I could do a better job, so I kind of put my hand up when I was offered the job. I said, "Yeah, I'll take it and 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 give it a go." Yeah, it cool. seems like
0: you felt the responsibility that you took them that far, and you wanted them to continue on in their journey you just had a recent trip to zimbabwe how did that go a bunch of juniors
1: zimbabwe is an awesome country to go to you know they i I don't know how they survive there but they survive and they seem to survive well and visiting there is is a a pleasure they can always make a plan they're outstanding hosts and it was great working with a group of 19 kids ranging from about 10 years old to 18 years old I, i think there are more kids than that in the country but that's what I was working with.
0: Yeah, it seems like you've had a lot of influence on a lot of younger players, Jimmy and Lucy, when they were very young. How did you meet them, the Grills?
1: That's that's an interesting story because um, I, I knew who the Grills family were and I had some dealings with them in 05 when I went with an under 16 South African team to play in a quadrangular there. And we did pretty well by winning it, which I think was one of the first times Australia had lost in Australia in any shape or form, certainly in the juniors, in a full-fledged country versus country scenario you know we chatted a bit it was at Aubrey so obviously they were the hosts and we got on well and when we went back in 07 at the end of the World Cup we were standing on the Sunday night as one does on the the field at Warwick and and you talk about all things good and after too many drinks Charlie and Sarah and I were standing there and we were we were still reasonably well behaved and Abbott came up and he wasn't in as good a shape as we were and he he leant across and sort of looked at me Um, I wasn't sure if he was going to talk or fall over but he said no um, why do you boys pass the ball so much (laughs) and I said because we can and that ended the conversation he uh, made it a u-turn and went away <laughs> <And> <laughs> so, so then it wasn't long after that uh, uh, sarah gave me a ring and said they've got that junior coaching clinic uh, week that they have and then a tournament at the end and would i like to come and be part of that and I, I jumped at the opportunity and actually went over with graham and travis graham my son travis tim and my daughter natalie we went and took the kids to play there and I'd coached for the week and the kids ended up being part of the whole thing and it, on the weekend played with Jimmy and Lucy and Jack Davidge in one of the the junior teams and, and they had a good weekend. Yeah that's where we kind of got together and, and the friendships it's developed from there and we've had lots to do with each other backwards and forwards over the years and they visited us and I've obviously visited them more than once so yeah, we keep it up. You know, for me, it's it's awesome to be competitive country versus country. But at the end of the day, you've got to keep growing the sport. You've got to keep sharing ideas. You've got to develop players. And and uh, there's no better way to do that on a family to family basis. So we've right. got a long
0: history. It must have been interesting feelings uh, during the final because you were not only responsible for the for the Africans, but three of the Australians you had a, such a huge influence on spent all this time with them. I'm sure there was some pride going on You know, all the way around. Uh, trust me, during
1: the final, there was a zero pride. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> uh, love it if I could have shot Jimmy on that damn little creamy <laughs> horse running around the damn park I would have <laughs> but um, oh, that brilliant. probably would have been off sides no look they, they're they awesome players and they've put their heart and souls into the game they eat sleep and breathe pull across and horses and what they've got going on there is absolutely eye opening you know hats off to them they'd, they'd put in a lot of work and, and on the day they were the better team I'd still like to replay the game though
0: I made a couple of blunders in that game
2: oh, which about- i We've We've got we've got those questions we got those questions coming up.
0: Yeah, let's start there. Let's start, <laughs> there. let's start there. Let's <laughs> get right straight to
2: it. Straight in.
0: So in hindsight, what would you have done differently? So let's get into that. Let's start there. Try to rip the scab off quickly.
2: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> I, I actually watched the, the replay of the final the other day. I had a group of kids here. Then I said to them, you can't always watch the polo Cross games that make you feel good. Sometimes you got to watch the painful ones as well. No, you know, look, World Cup, uh, for the people who, who've never been part of one or don't understand it, playing in a World Cup, is a completely different beast to any other international competition. You can go country on country over a weekend or two weekends. You can have a quadrangular, but a World Cup is a different story. And it's five games where mostly it's five knockout games. You might have a bit of leeway as we've had in two World Cups, but it's certainly four knockout games otherwise. You've got to be at your best and you've got to make sure your horses carry you through the tournament so that the management of that is immensely important. But to get back to the question, horses, players in a World Cup, you've got to have a a balanced team whereby your men's and your ladies are, are sharing the load. You can't expect one or the other to carry the load. And I got it wrong in the final. I, I played a wrong horse in, in a chucker. I played my ladies uh, in a wrong combination at the time which allowed Australia to get away from us. And when you're playing catch-up in a final it's very, very difficult to, to come back. But yeah, I suppose you can always be clever afterwards. But that's the difference. Those those big games come down to small errors. And two. three or five or seven goals suddenly counts and hurts you badly. So that was my mistake. I I let them get away
0: when I shouldn't have. Did you find that your players were very consistent the whole time and that just like you said, those couple of parts didn't work out for you? You had grits on or were there inconsistencies there? It just seems like your uh, talent is so high.
1: You know, if if I'm really critical, the difference between the three World Cup finals was in the first two, we made very, very few mistakes. Under pressure, when we had to, we made very, very few mistakes we made very good decisions and I think if we have to be hard on ourselves that probably wasn't the case in Australia but you know that's how some days go it certainly we were under pressure from the Australians, and hats off to them. They controlled the line better than I would have liked. Everybody who plays cross knows that's where it starts and ends, really. If you don't get enough ball in the line-out, you're in trouble. There are very few games that are won by people who get a, a, a small percentage of ball out the line-out and still come back and win. So, yeah, there, there are various factors, but, you know, as a coach and as players, you learn as you go along, and uh, hopefully I won't make the same mistake again.
0: I look back to uh, 2011 in that muck in at that rugby and watching your game against Australia. And I was just shocked at how you dominated the line out. That was really a, a big uh, shock to me that uh, the Australians were allowing that to happen. So I see what you mean. Getting more ball. I mean, usually it should be 50-50 and who's converting at a high percentage. But it seemed like you're getting the ball at such a rate and scoring so fast that you got quite a lead on them they couldn't overcome. That was, that was in the knockout round of the... 2011 World Cup. You know, Ryan,
1: they're they're probably in my whole coaching career, and I I, I don't know the exact figure, but I've I've coached close to a hundred international games. I haven't quite reached a hundred, but it's somewhere up there. They're probably only between five and eight where I think they were perfect polo cross. Mm. That men's 2011 semi-final in England was as close to perfect polo cross as you can play. Mm. There've been some other ones, but that was very very good polo cross and obviously i use it as demonstration videos time and time again for not only line art work but ball work and and positional play, et cetera, et cetera. But funny enough, that was very good polo-cross at the start of our sort of run. You know, those were yeah. young boys playing there. They were held together by Gavin Cocker, which you must not underestimate the importance of his position in that team and the pressure he took off those young players. Yeah, they certainly got better after that and I would like to think they're not completely done. Australia wasn't perfect but they're still fuel in the tank. We've just got to make sure that we can keep them involved.
2: I was just going to say it seems like, you know, I know it was in England, obviously, but the 2011 World Cup was really a start to a change in the way South Africa played at World Cups because, as you said, the first two weren't great and then from 2011 on you sort of had similar players certainly in the men's and dominated. I know you you didn't win this last one but you were still in the final.
0: Mechanically after 2007 when you when you got the senior job, what pieces were missing and what did you make efforts towards that filling in the holes to take them to that 2011 World Cup?
1: I thought we needed some younger slightly more fearless players. The one thing I've learned about coaching juniors is that they are happy to get out there and play what's in front of them. They don't carry a lot of baggage into the game, a lot of history. And that, under really stressful conditions, can be a massive bonus. They don't overthink it. But it's all about balance in teams. You've got to have a little, a, a, a bit of experience to hold them together. You've got to have experience to take the pressure off them in bizarre situations like uh, talking to the reporters and the media nowadays you've got to deal with social media which is a whole different beast but if you've got a captain like gavin was who could do all that and be immensely encouraging at the same time it was a almost a perfect remedy or a perfect team for our african style of polacross on top of that we spent a lot of time developing the lines we run and moving the ball and the communication, which are obviously essential in any team. But it was very raw around the edges, got a bit more sophisticated as we went along. And I, and I do agree, Simon, it has changed the way cross is played around the world. And if you can get the Australians to change their style of polacross, then you've certainly achieved something. Absolutely. I know domestically they might not change dramatically, but I can guarantee you the international teams will certainly carry on trying to play this kind of across.
0: Yeah, 100%. So you're yeah. looking for a lot more sort of raw talent, it seems?
2: You know, so I was going to say, it looks to me, Bruce, like your job is going to be pretty tough when you've still got all those players who have been in the World Cup so far, and then... Listening to some of these other podcasts, you got all these new young lads coming out. Are you a bit worried about those? You know, those. You know what, Simon? Yeah,
1: to prior to 2011, we had a whole lot of the older players retiring. Shaw wasn't available for that World Cup, and he had been the go to guy as a goal scorer. Yeah. James and Gordon and Charles van Vaak. Uh, People like that who had been in the national setup for years were into families or polo or something else or a bit distracted. And those young boys had to step up and play and and boy, they played. Now, all of you guys understand the value of competition. Competition brings out the best in people. And to have a, a conveyor belt lineup of young players coming through in our boys and our girls... For me, is I can only be a win-win situation for our country, and puts us in a better footing than we were, you know, nine years ago. So I'm not worried about it. It's a lovely, it's a lovely position to be in, where you scratch your head about who's going to go into which team. Just at that point, though, you often find, and I'm a firm believer that. Not always the best players make the best team. So, yeah. again, it comes back to balance. I find the captain of the team is immensely important because he has to work closely with the coach. But we're in a good space at the moment in terms of numbers. Not not in terms of big numbers, but in terms of numbers who can potentially play in a World Cup. Mm. So, yeah, I see exciting times coming.
0: I see that the high goal must be a huge part of the preparations because it seems like that level of pull across is just as high or higher than World Cup. Well, probably higher than World Cup. Cup. So you're testing these players every year, obviously, when, when you can. Do you think that have a huge influence? Do you do well, a lot of... Coaching for that,
1: Ryan. I created the Zimbabwean Open, which is the equivalent of our High Goal. Way back in 2007, 8, 9, 10, we took players up there, and that Open got bigger and bigger and more extravagant, and and mm-hmm. the standard of polo cross got got better and better. And I mean, Graham cut his teeth there as a 14-year-old. He stepped in to play for me when I did my knee, and they they cha- they allowed the rules at the time. It was only you could only you had to be 16 to play and he played in my place. He was 14. Oh my so the experience he gained there was immense playing 50-goal cross. Now we use the high goal here as the same story, you know, to blood our youngsters to bring them through. They might not win every year or be part of a winning team. Although last year, Josh LaRue played with the Land Rover team and they ended up winning it. So There are youngsters who are winning those high goals, but just
0: being part of the tournament is is huge. It must be something about Zimbabwe because Mikey Cranor was telling me how he was four years old and he took his sister's spot in a game. His parents, he had gotten (laughs) injured and his his parents didn't know it. And he said, get me ready. And he went, got on and played. So what a little bit bigger.
1: It's all about opportunities. you know. Sometimes they come along just when you don't expect them. And and that has a massive influence going forward. Who knows what would have happened if Graham hadn't stepped in in my place then. The year before that he had stepped in to help me at a SA Champs final when we were losing and he, he played in my spot because I'd, I'd also pulled something or heard something. It's about opportunities. Those young kids playing in 2011, that was meant to be an opportunity. They were never meant to win that World Cup, but they were meant yeah. to be competitive and to learn from it and to grow from it. Well, the opportunities prior to that actually stood them in such good stead that they were competitive.
2: You Obviously, never went there though, thinking you surely you even came, you still came to 2011 thinking you were going to win or you could win.
1: No, you know what happened? Um, funny, Gavin and I were sitting on the plane flying over, and I said to him, I said, Gav, imagine if we win this damn thing. And we had a bit of a chuckle and another drink of beer, and we thought, well, you know, we've got nothing to lose, and nobody knows anything about this team, or very few people know anything about this team, and they don't know anything about the way I coach. I've never coached against those guys and been in that situation. So we had no pressure, which was marvellous. Then the other thing which really irritated us, the first day we we got there and there was that bar above the the uh, indoor riding and centre there. Everybody was having drinks. I can't remember what it was called, but there was an upstairs section. And it was yeah. kind of put out there that Australia hadn't lost this and hadn't lost the next thing. And, and they were busy telling everybody how they hadn't lost anything for so long. And I thought, look out. Yeah.
2: Look out. And I just remember, I remember vividly how, and again, I think it's changed the way World Cup's Were just how professional and organised you were. You guys turned up with horse coordinators that, you know, were looking after horses to another level and beamers and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I just remember vividly because we were sort of in the stables along from you. You know, I, I said, okay, I wasn't, you know, I never played in 2003, but I was there with the team. And, you know, there were no teams quite like that. You know, the horses were just looked after by the guys there and they were fed. And, you know, there was none of this, giving them massages and beamers <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. And I think, you know, it's you know, changed. If you,
1: if you do the same stuff over and over again, what's the story? That's a definition of madness or insanity, you know, and expect a different result. We decided we were going to do, we were going to be as professional as we could in an amateur situation. We would take everything we did to the next level and try and make sure that it, you know, had an influence on, not only the players' performance, but the horses' performance. And I think now everybody's sort of jumped on the bandwagon in this following suit, which I'm not unhappy about. I like competition. I like people to, to follow and to have their own ideas and to to make things better because i do
0: think it has improved things Simon.
2: yeah yeah absolutely yeah,
0: so looking toward this next world cup it's gonna be in your backyard how will you be contributing besides a, as a coach i think i've heard that you'll be contributing a lot of horses for it or helping and what's going on now to prepare uh, the secondary question might be what are you doing different now than approaching it in 2015
1: well i'm certainly not going to tell you what i'm going to do differently <laughs>
2: We don't mean we don't mean on the field. Who's announcing?
0: Who's goaltender?
1: You know, we can have a laugh about it, but what we do differently and where we do it and how we do it is so important to the whole makeup of the team that you say, "Oh, we don't." You want to ask about on the field, but it's the whole package. The team is the whole package. It's everything. It's not just how you play. Play is the end result of three quarters of the package, and so yes, there are a few things. Things that I've I'm working on I've got a little bit of time but there, there's a there's a slightly different route that I'm going to try with the management and the build-up and then I want to tweak a few things on the field I think I've left a little bit been a bit lazy in some departments so you'll have to wait till 2023 to see that and whether it's uh, whether it pays off but Simon you will be able to attest to the fact of how much pressure there is at a home world cup it's massive, and particularly I think I look at the Australians and Les Fraser and Warwick and what they what they've achieved. They have such a massive amount, a number of people who pitch in and help. Now, in the yeah. smaller countries with a smaller playing staff, there's so much more pressure on on so the, the fewer individuals. I make sure that I, I don't get caught up in too many of the sideshows. For me, players and player preparation is, is paramount, but I take the horses and on, on board as well. I'll manage the collecting of the horses. I'll coordinate that. I will make sure what I want is in and what I don't want is out. Because at the end of the day, we want to put forward the best 128 horses we can source in South Africa. We don't have to worry about having 4,500 players like ours and X number 1,000 horses. We've only got 250 or 300 players at the moment. And we're only going to have, for example, 600 horses to draw from. You know, you've got to be smart about it. And and when the visiting countries get here, we want it to be a spectacle. I, I believe last time we put on a damn good show and the horse pools were enjoyed by all the countries. And that's got to be the aim this time again. Would
0: you at least tell me roughly when you might select your team? August 20. 20- 22. Okay, here's just more of a, a general oh, question. When you select your team, now you have this these eight players who have their own personalities. How much do they have to fit into your structure, or how much of, of it is your flexibility to adapting to the players? I mean, do, Does it feel more dictatorial or, or uh, laissez-faire? How do you approach it? Uh,
1: Ryan, if anything, I tend to err on being too much of a nice guy and trying to accommodate too many people. But I do believe I'm not a dictator. I'm not a I'm not a guy who chases you with a stick. I treat you as an adult and uh, I expect the same in return. I believe immensely that the individual personalities are actually the backbone of the team. It's not my personality or my ideas or my coaching that makes the team. It's It's the meshing, the welding, the integrating of the different personalities that makes the team successful. And if you as a selector and a coach get that wrong, then it doesn't matter how good the players are if you can't weave those personalities together, you're not going to be successful. End of story.
2: I'll, I'll tell you, this is sort of a sub-question to that. Do you select this team yourself, or do you have a? Uh, does the country have a team uh, of selectors?
1: I'm just one of four or five selectors. I think five. There are four selectors, a convener of selectors, and I'm the sixth guy. So... The convener really doesn't have a a vote, but the four selectors with a vote and myself with a vote. And we selected together.
0: Speaking of personalities on the team, and I have to say this lightheartedly because I don't want to offend you. I know that you, you you prefer the number one position and I'm a number three typically. I have a propensity for that. How many number ones have you had as captains? Because it seems like Gavin, Yanni, I'm not seeing them as number ones very often. Is there a personality trait?
1: (laughs) No, no. it's a very simple mathematical equation. It takes hours and days to work out. I pick the oldest guy and make him captain. (laughs) Okay, all right. Okay.
2: (laughs) Is that Um, really true, Bruce? Is that really true?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. I have an one tour, which I will not... I won't divulge which tour, but on one tour with a men's team, I picked the naughtiest guy, made him captain, because I knew then at least he would have to answer to me and be on time and have team (laughs) meetings and and stay in at night and check on the other guys. And yeah, it worked like a treat. We came away and we won well.
2: Would you ever have a girl as your captain? Absolutely.
1: I don't have a problem in the right situation. I don't have a problem having a girl as a captain. But, you know... We've got strong leaders in the men. We with Gavin did it, and Yanni's a good captain. And if Yanni's around, I would think that. Well, not if he's around. If he's keen to play, I would think that you know he's close to a search mm. as the next uh, for the next World Cup as as you get. Yeah, who knows? Simon, so, mean, for me, rather pick the team and then pick the captain afterwards. I don't pick the captain first and build the team around him. I I, I get the right blend of the team in my mind and convince
0: the selectors
1: of my logic and then take it from there
0: we know that ones are a dime a dozen there's just so many of them no offense and there's a lot of number threes but it's hard it's hard to find a good two so what are the characteristics of a two what do you coach twos to make them effective on the field
1: look our game plan is all about the ball and getting the ball and, and controlling the ball and travis Timm is is was the incumbent number two and chief Stan was an, an, a specialist number two at the last World Cup. I like ball playing twos. I like people who can. In Travis's case, he's as good a three as he is a two. In fact, he might even be a, a, a better a better two than a three. I want people who can play the ball, and I want people who can move the ball, and I don't want I don't want a guy who's just going to run around into running into people the whole time. For me, that's if they can play a two a bit like a a combination of one and three. They can hunt the ball like a one, and they can defend. And, and distribute the ball like a three, then, then that for me is perfect. You know, in, in South Africa, I always equated our game of rugby. I don't know what I'd do with the American sports. I'm not that fait. but in, in rugby union, you need somebody who can play like a flank. They must play. They can do the hard graft, but they can also have soft, silky hands and distribute the ball. They must be I able to run
2: s- and get around. He, old oh, Travis, one of the most awesome players to watch because of that. You know, he just he everything he delivers is spot on and precise, and you don't see him running into trouble very often. He gets always out of it before the trouble's there. It's yeah, I love watching Travis play. Travis is
1: a he's a natural. He's a natural too, and. It took a little bit of persuading way back in the day for him to accept that in my situation he wasn't going to play a three to start with, and he's turned into a world class two. He's a guy that I, I really rate in the middle of the lineout.
0: I can see that. Obviously, the number ones have a lot to play in uh, being in the right position, but I can kind of just see you there with a stopwatch. How quickly can they release the ball if they catch in the lineout or move that ball to that number one? Is that sort of what you're talking about as far as being an offensive two out of the lineout? Yes, Ron.
1: Yeah. Uh, releasing the ball obviously is is so important in our game plan, but more importantly is releasing it at the right time. Anybody can pass the ball quickly, but passing it at the right time into the right space on the right angle, that's what uh, is, is the tricky bit. Um, look, I'm very lucky with Graham and Travis. You know, they've grown up through the juniors. They've played as young adults together. Um, they've played three World Cups together and God knows how many club games. So they can move the ball around with their eyes closed just about. So that was a, a real bonus in the in the South African team, uh, having people who understood each other so well. It's it's underestimated that in, in how effective it is, but uh, we were very lucky to have that combination. It
0: seems like in the in the States, when we just inter- introduced the overarm and it was probably around 2013 or so, the game got very sloppy. You know, we were trying to move the ball faster and we were just kind of mm-hmm. dropping it in front of the player. Oftentimes not in the right spot, uh, just a lot of mistakes. When you say dropping the right position, these has it just become more and more just sort of a, a direct pass as opposed to hitting the ground in front of that player? Is that, no, is that look, the progression?
1: I, I think if you, you just take a step back to what you've said, what was happening in America, can't play a passing game if your skills don't match the, re- the requirements. So if you want to pass the ball 10 meters on a gallop, you must be competent to do that. If you want to pass it 50 meters on a gallop, exactly the same. But I like to think that we are a multi a dimensional team we pass when we have to we carry when we have to our ones go back and fetch the ball when they have to our twos and threes interact when they have to you know the, the ability to play what's in front of you is so important not to go onto the field with a preconceived idea that every time you win a line out that you swing the ball 60 meters upfield and hope to goodness that somebody in your color shirt catches it and all along and, and this was my predecessor tony higgs was always saying skills 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 you've got to upskill the whole time and it was something i drummed into those young guys and girls in 11 and 15 because we've always seemed to have young players you've got to keep pushing your skill levels now Bomber is very good at pushing the competitions, the little trick-sticks things. And Graham Bennett's now come up with his own thing and his sticks. And that's really what's made it, what's driven it, is that the skill level has got better and better. And as a result, we can now, we have more option, you know, um, as and when and how we pass the ball uh, and catch it, obviously. So to answer your question is, I don't want to see the ball passed onto the ground. I, I think it becomes risky. And although I'm a guy who does play risky polo cross, That's too risky for me. There's still got to be a good percentage in what you're doing. Don't just sling it forward and let it bounce on the deck. Put it in a racket. Make sure your
0: skills can do that. Great advice. Um, so, we, yeah, we're trying to catch up.
1: You know, at practice, they, they sometimes want to be too conservative. Yet, when they get into a game, they suddenly want to be over, you know, they want to be overexuberant. So, you've got to, you've got to balance it. If you can't practice and get it right at practice, then maybe don't try it in the game. But you, you, as a coach, have to afford the players the chance to make those mistakes. You can't be jumping on their heads at practice. If things are going pear-shaped, you've got to allow them to make the mistakes at practice and hope that they don't repeat them in a game.
0: Yeah, it just brings me back to 2007. And I, I say this often too much on my podcast, but we almost lost to Canada. Now they had an Australian on the team. Uh, we almost got eight, but we didn't. Um, but no, Joey Poole had said to us, there's only so much more I can, you know, you, you have to be able to get the basics down before we can take this to the ne- next level. And we were just failing on that, on the fundamentals. And so that that just made me think of that. Just don't play above your, your capability. Your percentages will go down. Your mistakes will go up. So yeah, that just reminds me of that that's uh sort of my perspective I rem- from uh... i
1: remember that game and i remember the the aussie guy he was also a bruce if i remember correctly <laughs> green shield or Greenside or green something he yep. was a tough customer but you're 100 percent right right ryan it's um you've got to challenge your players to be adventurous enough but not silly they've got to be able to play percentage follow cross, but not ridiculously conservative and you've got to allow them to make mistakes and take it on the chin and say, move on. You know, at the end of the day, if you're one ahead at the end of the last chucker, it's a good win. So don't overthink this thing. Don't, don't try and get it that you, you, you're winning by 10 or 20 every time. Just if they're making mistakes and still winning and improving, then
0: I think you're on the right path. Yeah, speaking of that, with adversity, which game, big game, would you say you're most proud of where you overcame adversity? I mean, there's one thing to just be dominant all the way through, but can you think of one game where you had a lot of challenges? Well,
1: and it's tough? A, I've had some great games. The, the, one of the more recent ones with that series in 17 in Australia at Warwick, the first game we were quite far ahead most of the game, and I think we won by 10, which you know, was a shock for the Australians. And their second game, we were behind till the sixth chucker. And then Graham and Travis came up with a a, a good sixth chucker where I think we won 6 nil. And then Yanni and Ati followed up the next chucker with a solid 4-1 chucker. And suddenly we were in front and all Graham and Travis had to do was finish it off and we won by four. And then we went into the last game having won the series, but I'm never satisfied. 3-0 is much better than 2-1. And I think at one point in that game, we were 11 behind. And to come back from those numbers, you know, immensely satisfying. We only won by one in the end. But as I say, one's good enough. You just got to be one ahead.
2: Um, Do you think you you played a part in that comeback, Bruce? Or... Do you allow those players just, how do you back them up when they're 11 goals down?
1: Well, the bizarre thing, Simon, was I actually think we were 8 or 9 or 10 behind in the second game. I did play a part there. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not going to repeat on air what I told them there because it, it wasn't that. very pleasant. But, but <laughs> there was a... <laughs> in fairness, and, and, and Hayden Turnbull and I had a, a good laugh at the last high goal about it and that beer uh, what well, he was drinking rum and copious <laughs> but I was thinking yeah he was an absolute pain in the backside that guy in the middle of the line out and and Niko van Weyck was having his work cut out to to be of any influence and I'm a great believer that your twos have got to be a massive influence in the line and in the game obviously but Niko and I had some words quietly and we we had to just Sort out mr turnbull there it um <laughs> the, <laughs> and it, it all it all came from there and obviously steph harris had a had a go with um trent uh, collins uh, collins
0: oh trent um, collins
1: yeah so they, there was a bit of blood there and there was a few choice words <laughs> said to each other and they discussed family matters up close and personal you know i think those there were two incidents that you know, we, we that i've just mentioned and and that changed the course of that game. And it was something that we, we discussed off the side of the field that we, we had to be a little bit more we couldn't afford to take a step back. We had taken too many steps back. Mm. So we needed to to change our thought process and and our, our sort of our line out strategies and be a little bit man up a little bit because we've been too nice to that point. And I'm not I'm not advocating violent play or, or ridiculous play. What I'm saying was just the mind shift. We were focusing on being correct and sharp and quick in the lineouts and we were being outplayed. So we had to change our, our, our thought process and it, it did certainly work.
0: I'm a lefty. So I totally understand. It's, it's cheating to begin. It's cheating from the start. And then,
1: uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. Then you throw in hate in there. Um, yeah, I get it. Um,
1: uh, he's a great guy <laughs> and a phenomenal player, but yuck, yeah. he's had, he's, he's had the South Africans number a couple of times over the the last 10-12 years, in, in international polo Do
2: you think that that uh, those tests in Australia actually were filmed, or is there a you know? Do, do you wonder why they never filmed it?
1: Well, I don't know. That's it's it's like one of these murder mystery <laughs> things <Yeah>. that. Uh, <laughs> I've never been to Warwick, and I've never had anything to do with the Warwick setup, and there hasn't been video cameras and films and and all sorts and. Suddenly after this one, there's nothing to be seen. It's bizarre, but they've got footage of the games that they use in a promotional
2: adverts. Advert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's crazy. So, I don't it? know, Simon,
1: maybe, maybe I'm not qualified to answer that. You, We'll just leave it out there for the listeners to
0: decide. This is a good transition, actually, because I know that Australians have the Institute of Sport. We've tried to get certain things like their coaching program or their umpiring certification program, and they just won't let us you know, see any of that because it's... It's from the government. Do you get a lot of government support for your team? No, in a word. Um, <laughs> we don't.
1: <laughs> we, we were lucky enough to get some funding um, after the 2015 World Cup, which we had applied for beforehand, but it only came through afterwards. Maybe they were holding it back to see if we won, I'm not sure, Um, but (laughs) uh, no, we don't get a lot of support to be perfectly honest. And we we just have to make a plan and rely on private sponsorships and and
0: the goodwill of the polacross community to, you know, to to run big events. Um, And looking back to 2003, I actually got the hat from Kenny on your team. Number one, what's happened to Kenny and uh, what part did he play on the team? Were you just uh, sort of required to have diversity on the team in that that year?
1: Yeah, um, you know, there, there's an active program whereby we try and develop players. It's it's incredibly difficult because of the funding issue. If we don't get enough money from the government to 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 fund the development players, will be there be them be players of color or be the people who haven't had the right opportunities? But there's not enough money, so that in, it comes back to private individuals carrying the cost for those players in kenny's case we did receive some funding for him to go in 03 um, and he was a good guy and a part of the team but because of the standard of play you're not going to replace a gavin cocker with with a with a kenny because they're just not good enough he's not good enough and and there are a lot of players of that level, uh, from all backgrounds, not good enough. Where Kenny is now, I know he was part of the police force at that stage. And Caroline Minow had a lot to do with him. But I, I think I've heard he, he's not in Polar Cross anymore. I think he's, he's left the police. And to be perfectly frank, I haven't seen him for a number of years. We don't get any real government support
0: either. Ah, uh, we seek sponsorships. Yeah. Do you think the High Goal sponsors you have such that such a relationship that they help with your South African team or not?
1: At this point, we've had very little crossover from the High Goal to the South African team. Okay. I believe, uh, and and it's only because I was at a World Cup meeting a week or so ago, that um, they're talking about that not being the case in the build-up to the the 23 World Cup. That would be marvellous if we can carry on and we can we can take sponsors through various prestigious tournaments and we can take them to the World Cup and they can be part of our development program, which is is good for them, uh, good for us as well. Then then that would be a win win for everybody. But you know what it's like; it, talk is cheap, and 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 at the end of the day, let's see whether anything comes of it.
0: Right, must be hard if you're traveling abroad. Uh, w- trying to gain sponsorship but since this is domestic you know you could actually like you said you could take them through the high goal um through the world cup i just have a couple more questions this has been great i really appreciate your time one other question is and this is actually one that simon came up with get ready for this one
2: who's
1: the, <laughs> who's he's the looking best? serious i can see him there he's he's looking pensive. <laughs>
0: i don't know if i'm
2: going be worried
0: or not Who's the best player ever in the world?
2: I don't want to miss it.
0: <laughs> okay, Salman, it's not you.
1: So we've got to work backwards from that. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's so difficult because is the best number three equal to the best number one to the number best one. number two? Is it is it the best group of players who win two World Cups um, as a section um, and then... You know, is I don't know how to. Yeah, answer I this.
2: understand. I understand. They're, they're
1: phenomenal players question. in the world. i Yanni, Graham, Travis, Gavin from way back when. There, I've worked with you know Bo Moore and the, the Grills family. I've had the, the pleasure of coaching Lance Anderson at a high goal. Um, uh, and that was that was great because. I could say as much as I wanted and he didn't say a lot. <laughs> um, <you know. laughs> but I'll tell you one thing about Lance. When he does say something, you better pay attention because it's a lot of sense. I can tell you that um, the best section that I've seen play together was that South African section of Graham, Travis and Yanni. And from that you can deduce who I think possibly the best players in the world are. I hope, Simon, that gives you some satisfaction. I'm sorry you couldn't pin me down on a the individual name but those three guys together were as good as i think it gets
0: this is a different question uh similar but different simon's all he's all beat up with his knee and he's just not you know he's kind of reached his peak what other <laughs> no which player can you identify uh, based on their circumstances because obviously it's hard to come from really poor circumstances and be a top player but who do you think really overcame maybe some cir- circumstances or had to work the hardest to get to where they are.
1: I don't know how to answer that right um, <laughs> I've,
0: I've
1: I've generally worked with people who've been very privileged in that they've they've come from families with with horses on, and, and and means and they've they've had opportunities. I, I once worked with a, a kid in in who left school in standard 8 and came and lived with us. Um his 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 dad was into carpentry and they weren't particularly well off. And he ate and slept cross, and, and and he eventually got to play in Australia in a South African team. A guy by the name of Freddie Creel. If you're talking about people who've done it hard, there's probably not much harder than that. But the reality is, you know, horse sports and polacross definitely is you, you you have to have something behind you to play it. And it's a yeah. privileged sport. We mustn't we mustn't, uh, upon ourselves. And, and particularly most of the players are... are in that bracket,
0: yeah, speaking about having someone behind you, um, not literally, but your wife, Beth, seems to be extremely positive i mean i I've never met her, but I've seen her social media, and she just seems to be very uplifting and positive and How would you say she contributes to your success as as a She's as in one in of that,
2: this is going to be awesome. <laughs> she,
1: <laughs> I, I'm terrified of her, so it's all performance related. I have to succeed, otherwise, I might not be allowed home. <laughs>
2: yeah, <that's great.
1: laughs> no, no, Simon, you know her well, and Lizzie and, and Beth go back to the, the good old days of playing an escort in 2000, I think it was. Um, yeah. The English sent out a team there. And, uh, yeah, it, it, look, she's been very supportive. We, we do have our moments like any married couple. Um, fortunately, uh, I win most of those. Um, <laughs> you're sitting across the room, nodding her head, not in an up and down <laughs> direction. Um, <laughs> but the light's bad because the power's out and I can't really see her clearly, so I'm just going to ignore her for a while. I'm <laughs> sure there'll be discussion later. somewhere close to a bed but yeah anyway uh, just one other question do you
2: think do you think since you've been coaching Bruce you've improved as a player because you know I remember watching you when I was in South Africa a long time ago and you You weren't nearly as good as when I came over with the team a few years ago and watched you play. You know, you've obviously improved yourself. Do you think that's since you've been working with these guys, or what's the story?
1: No, Simon, yes, I I do think that certainly helped my across. I've been lucky enough to play between Graham and Travis. You don't get a lot of directions from those boys. You just (laughs) got to fit in, otherwise they're going to run over you.
2: Um, Yeah, you were playing one at the time, and you were playing pretty bloody good. You know, <laughs> I, was, uh, I remember the game. It was, the it was game, probably and the best game, best game of polo I've ever seen in my life.
1: Oh, thank you. It was a particularly good game, and it was, a, you know, it's even better when you win those ones. Yeah, I do think it's pl- improved my polo cross. You know, my clarity of thought has improved. My, my temperament's got better. I used to be a hothead on the field, and that's, that's much better nowadays. And understanding the game to the level that I do now
0: can only help you. So, yeah. yeah Definitely. Okay. I have one more question and this has nothing to do with polo cross. Since you're from Ladysmith, KwaZulu, what's your favorite Ladysmith Black Mombasa song? <laughs> okay. A, I, I'm going
1: to d- d- defer this to my wife because the, she'll know all the names and I won't. But
0: I, mean, I, I saw this. I yeah. I saw them live <laughs> in Pennsylvania. When I Did was you? probably 10 years old. Yep. They're yep.
1: an awesome group. I, I believe the main guy, Joseph, I think Shabalala passed away recently. That will have left a bit of a hole in them. But yeah, they're an unbelievably good uh, group. Of, of, And the music they've made around the world is legendary.
0: Homeless, Graceland. Pretty there phenomenal. we go.
1: There we go. Thank I'm trying you. to help you, you out here. <laughs> you're, you're helping big time. <laughs> Why didn't you start with that?
2: So you just choose one of them. <laughs>
1: You, you could have gone. Which is the better song, "Homeless" or "Graceland"? But um,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> "Graceland" was sung with Paul Simon, though, if I remember correctly.
0: Yep. Yeah, and I, I didn't get to see Paul Simon, but I did get to see them live. Um, okay. That's, that's yes. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a small why world. Why don't
1: you come? Why don't you come to Ladysmith, and I'm going to show you around the great round the great metropolis, which uh, <laughs> you can probably do in about half an hour, and then we can go home and ride some horses. <laughs> uh.
0: Oh, I'm man. sure
2: there's plenty of people in England who'd like to come, so I'll 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 ring you up when they when and let let you know when they're coming.
1: <laughs> uh, we always welcome visitors here, so anybody welcome.
2: But what three things do you think you did that propelled South Africa to such height as a playing nation now?
1: Ooh. Simon, um, what are the
2: biggest three things? You know, what are the most important three things you've done? Do you think that
1: we backed the style of play that we have now become uh, synonymous with? In other words, we moved the ball as our first as our first option, not as our, not as a sort of just get out of trouble uh, story. We move it into space quickly. Um, I backed the youth uh, in the country because uh, I, I thought they were definitely the way to go forward. And I realized that we had to make our girls really competitive to be uh, at a level where we could win World Cups. And mm-hmm. that is definitely uh, been part of our success that our ladies' sections have been there and thereabouts every time we've, we've been successful. They might not win their, their section, although in, in 11 we lost to the Australians in the semis by one goal and we beat the Zambian girls in the final. In 15, we beat the Aussie girls in the semis for the first time ever, and uh, I think we drew with the Zambian girls in the final. Maybe we were one goal up. I'll, I'd have to go back and check that. Um, that wasn't the case in 19, and 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 unfortunately, that we came unstuck there. But um, yeah, the backing the ladies and getting them competitive was certainly part of the plan.
0: Yeah, speaking of youth, we tend to get a lot of we used to get get a lot of players for Pony Club, and that's how we grew the sport. But procreation is probably the best way to do it, right? It takes quite a bit of time for you to develop these top players. He's <laughs> um, in the
2: background, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's about to throw something at you, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's great uh, that they're how so... That how's they're your so family
1: involved. coming on, Ron?
0: Oh, good. So far, it's a family of horses, a dog, a wife, cat. Uh, no kids yet, but we're working on that. Um, so
1: Salmon
2: can give you some pointers. <laughs> <laughs> stop stop right where you are <laughs>
0: yeah i'll have a whole podcast with lizzie on to talk about what she overcame her her adversity <laughs> <laughs> all Objective right well reading. cool man <laughs> all right well thanks for your time i really appreciate it i i can honestly say right up there with joy pool that conversation uh this is just Been so informative. So many gems that you're willing to share without giving away too much, uh, too many secrets. I know that the next World Cup is going to be phenomenal, and I I look forward to meeting you again. I know that we've passed each other, but never really uh, had had a conversation. So I really appreciate it. I I I really want to thank you a lot for this time.
1: It's a pleasure, Ron. It's great being on here. Good seeing meeting you, uh, even if it's on air again. And Simon, thanks for all your questions from from uh, Spain. Don't
2: get too burnt no, no, there, mate. No. Enjoy your
0: holiday.
2: I will there. And hope to speak to you soon, Bruce.
0: Well, if he okay, gets rejected mate. from the UK, he'll, he'll have to go back to South Africa where he's from.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're still taking flights. We're happy for, for any kind of foreign currency.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, cheers Thanks to you. Man. Thanks a lot. Cool, mate. Make okay. it easy. Yes.
2: See you later, mate. Yep, Bye. happy Thanks, holidays.
0: Man. Merry Christmas.
1: Thank you. You too. <laughs> cheers. The radio. Bye. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. It was such a pleasure and honor to share time with Bruce. He was so thoughtful, on point, and precise with his answers. I also appreciated his fun, light-hearted spirit. He seems to not only be a tactical expert on the game, but also a magnetic person that makes him one of the most desirable leaders to follow. I also wanted to thank Simon for not only introducing me to some great people to interview, but also for the perspective and laughs he brings along with him. Cheers, Simon. Yo, I need your help on two things. Firstly, I'm trying to make a master calendar of polo cross tournaments for 2021. Please send me them as your associations create them. I'd not only like to use this calendar to announce the upcoming polo cross tournaments, but I'd also like your tournament results recorded on my sidebar voicemail button on my website. Wouldn't it be cool to have your tournament results announced on the podcast? Let's recognize the success of our players and shrink the polo cross world, yo. Secondly, I'm trying to gather some marketing data Trying to get association membership numbers from 2017 to 2019, broken down by senior and junior members. I reached out to each association with very little feedback. How many players are there in the polo-cross world? Do you know? Thanks in advance for your help. Please email me at Ryan at polo-cross-made-simple.com or leave me a voicemail simple.com by clicking the sidebar voicemail button. Thank you very much. Here on chuck talk we appreciate your feedback. Have you enjoyed the show? Do you have questions or comments? Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. For a chance to be featured on the show, leave a voicemail by finding the send voicemail sidebar button on simple.com. For more PoloCross coaching, go to PoloCrossMadeSimple.com. You'll find ebooks on how to become a great player and even on how to become a great coach. Find me on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a good one.